uh, oh, I had this story run through my head. I guess I'll tell it. Um, when I was in college, I had a 1968 uh, half uh, pop-top Volkswagen bus. And I was on my way to an REM concert, and I had asked this gal to go with me, and she didn't know anything about REM, and so it was kind of all on me. Um, but on the way there, my van broke down, which is kind of what happens with Volkswagen vans of that era. Um, and I remember thinking, I, I went to the back and opened it up and looked at stuff and kind of poked some things and shook some things around, because that was the extent of my uh, mechanical knowledge. And it didn't work, and I remember thinking, oh man, this is really, really a bummer. I wanted to get to this concert, wanted to show this gal a good time, and this band I really liked, and all this stuff. And uh, you know, when we put all this stuff together on Sundays and try to get stuff working, and cameras don't work, and programs don't work, right? We, we feel all that, like, oh, we really want this to be. It's so good to remember that the body of Christ operates differently right, and that you all have throughout this whole pandemic, whether it's been masking policies or this policy or that policy or being at home or being here, you have shown such extreme patience and kindness to us that I just want to say thanks uh, as we're in the middle of some, some tech problems again this morning, but, uh, and, and to Brian who's worked so hard to get all this stuff running and, and has done such a great job. So I'm just thankful to everyone and uh, yeah, thanks for your patience again. Um, with all that, let's, let's pray. God, I do thank you that the body of Christ is different. Um, and, and in our relationships with one, one another and to those we don't know, to strangers, uh, to, to neighbors, to our family, to our friends, we are different. We are compelled, Paul says, by Christ's love. So help us to always be compelled in everything we do by Christ's love. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are uh, really excited to be launching this sermon series uh, entitled Get Wisdom this morning. We're going to spend six weeks in the book of Proverbs. Um, and, um, and I'm really excited about this series, but it's also really... Uh, it's a different series because the book of Proverbs is different. There are things that we find in the book of Proverbs that uh, we don't see other places in Scripture as much and things that we see all over Scripture um, that we don't find in the book of Proverbs. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of lay the groundwork, our foundation for this series uh, that's going to build off of this. And there's a couple of things that we need to do uh, right away so, uh, that I think are just going to help give some framework to this. So We've got to figure out what is the book of Proverbs, what is wisdom? It's one of the big things it talks about. Uh, and then establish why it's something we should try and get. That's We've entitled the series, Get Wisdom. So the implications are we should be trying to get it. And then what does that actually do if we do get it? Um, we don't want to be like, you know, the Joker in one of the Batman movies talks about, I'm like a dog chasing a, a car. If I caught one, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Uh, we don't want to be like that. We want to know what we're supposed to do with wisdom when we get there. Um, and so first, we're going to start with the book of Proverbs. And it is part of the Old Testament of the Bible. That's the part of the Bible that uh, is, is surrounding the time before Jesus uh, showed up. And so it's part of that. Uh, so it's before Jesus. Um, and it's also uh, part of this subsection of the Old Testament known as the wisdom writings. And so it's 
with Job, um, Psalms, and the Song of Songs, this, this collection of writings called the Wisdom Writings, and they're separated out from all the other spots, the prophets, the historical writings, uh, and, and the Pentateuch, and the Torah, all these other places for a reason that's going to become apparent as we go through this book. Um, and then the last thing uh, is that it's a compilation of sayings, thoughts, uh, longer discourses, uh, predominantly around wisdom. So what it means is that uh, there's not one single person that's uh, responsible for originating all the material. There may have been one that sort of compiled it, um, but it was uh, spoken by different people uh, throughout, throughout history. And so it's this collection. Uh, and I'm going to show you an outline that sort of gives some uh, information about that. And so... Um, this outline sort of is going to walk us through uh, the sections of uh, Proverbs. And so it starts with what's called this preamble, and that's just kind of an introduction, right? That's verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Then there's this extended discourse uh, about wisdom that happens from uh, verse 8 in chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 9. And so that is all one piece, one section um, and then it shifts into what is called the Solomonic Proverbs, which are the ones that are attributed to Solomon. And there's two sections of those. It's 10, 1 through 22, 16. And then there's a break. Uh, we'll see that in just a second. But then it picks up again in 25, 1, and it goes through 29, 27. Now, in the middle of that, there's this thing called the sayings of the wise. And it's just, that's how it's it leads off that section. These are the sayings of the wise. And so it's seen as a separate group um, that originated these sayings, and that's right in the middle of that Solomonic uh, group. Then there's the sayings of Agur, um, who uh, is just responsible for chapter 30. Um, and then there's the sayings of King Lemuel, uh, not to be confused with Lemur, the candlestick and Beauty and the Beast, which in my brain I always see. Uh, but that's uh, chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. And then the last section is what's called the Poem to the Virtuous Woman, which is uh, chapter 31, verse 10 through 31. And so you can see throughout that, right, these different sections. And, and the extended discourse doesn't have a specific author attached to it, but the Solomonic ones do, the sayings of the wise, uh, Agur and King Lemuel, all have uh, an author attributed to them. Um, but that's kind of the breakdown, and so that intro sort of intros the whole thing, and then you have that long section just specifically about wisdom, and then these proverbs shift into like these shorter sayings, um, and they're, they're sort of... Uh, they're not this, they don't function this way, but, but they're like sayings that we would often put on a bumper sticker or something like that. That's the, the kind of things they are. They're these short, kind of pithy uh, sayings about, um, about life and, and what it means to, to work through all this stuff. Um, and, and so all of that's great, but right in the beginning, this preamble, it talks about like what's the purpose of this, right? And so it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen, add their learning, let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then it moves into this, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning 
of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so it sort of lays out the groundwork. This is what all this is about. This is what all this is for. And then it's got this really interesting phrase at the end. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now notice in that opening section, it doesn't say anything about love, rest, peace, joy. All these things that we particularly, uh, we, we attribute with the Bible and with God, but these things aren't there. So this book is not exhaustive in everything that it means. Right? It's not exploring every single aspect of what it means to be a follower of God. So then what is wisdom? Right? If this is supposed to be part of this. Well, if we go to dictionary.com, which is one of my favorite places in the world, uh, we find out that it's the quality of having experienced knowledge and good judgment, the quality of being wise. I always love those parts, right? Wisdom is the quality of being wise. Okay, now we gotta go see what that means. But it's the soundness of an action decision with regard to the application of experience and good judgment. And so it's talking about experience and learning and growth. And, and uh, you know, I feel like when I'm in my martial arts class and I'm teaching, one of the things that we learn from experience and, and develop wisdom is, is what we call uh, keep your hands up, right? Because what, uh, what always happens is someone starts sparring and this just gets tiring, and so they put their hands down, and then they get punched in the head. And they don't like that, and so we say, keep your hands up. And then they put their hands up, and then they drop, and they get punched in the head, and they're like, I don't like that. And, and so finally, there's a moment where wisdom sets in, they keep their hands up, and then they get punched in the head less. And so there's this, there's this connection between what we know and how it gets expressed in action from what we learn Uh, And I also want to look at some quotes from people throughout history uh, about wisdom. And so the first one is by Marilyn, uh, and I can't read the bottom of that. Is it Von Vos Savant? Uh, To acquire knowledge, one must study, but to acquire wisdom, one must observe. Uh, This one's by Bruce Lee, and this is actually Bruce Lee at Sylvan Grove Theater because he attended University of Washington for several years. A wise man can learn more from a foolish question than a fool can learn from a wise answer. Uh, And because I like Bruce Lee, he gets two. Uh, The wise man does not pursue wisdom but lives his life and therein therein precisely does his wisdom lie. Um, Jimi Hendrix, knowledge speaks but wisdom listens. This is from Mary Wilson Little. He who devotes 16 hours a day to hard study may become at 60 as wise as he thought himself at 20. Herbie Hancock, you can practice to attain knowledge, but you can't practice to attain wisdom. Albert Einstein, wisdom is not a product of schooling, but of the lifelong attempt to acquire it. Um, we have knowing yourself is the beginning of wisdom by Aristotle. And then lastly, one from Socrates, uh, the only wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. Right, so those are some, some specific quotes from specific people. Here are some ones from just further around the world. This is an African proverb. The wise create proverbs for fools to learn, not to repeat. Uh, Japanese proverb, boasting begins where wisdom stops. 
And then a proverb from the Hopi tribe. Wisdom comes only when you stop looking for it and start living the life the creator intended for you. So we can see that wisdom has been on people's minds for a long time. There's some ancient quotes in there. There's some more modern ones. But wisdom has been something that people have been exploring for a long time. And I believe that all these quotes that we just looked at have some element of truth in them. But is this exactly what the scripture is talking about? Right? And in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East specifically, wisdom was not just a virtue, something we kind of sought after. It was a coveted commodity. And it was prized because it gave this promise of a full life and an honorable life. And so to attain wisdom wasn't just to sort of be on a good path, but it, it, it meant that your life, it promised a life that was honorable and full. Now in the Bible, when we look at the word wisdom, specifically in Proverbs, it's this word chokmah, and it means generally a masterful understanding um, or a skill or some kind of level of expertise. But it's got this religious dimension because it also is attached to knowledge of the Holy One, to the one true God. And so we find this phrase, the fear of the Lord. Right, and, um, and, and later on in Proverbs, we're gonna read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Early, we just read the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this shows up 10 times in Proverbs, and it's really a key to understanding this book. And I have them up on the screen for you there um, to look at the fear of the Lord, again, is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, in 2.5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 10.27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life. Uh, in uh, 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. 15.16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. 16.16, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Um, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. 22.4, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And 23.17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. And so we get some ideas from that what it means. But really, what does that phrase mean? When you think of it, when you think of fear just on its own, what do you think of? Right? And, and how do we respond to fear? Think of a moment when you were afraid and how do you respond to that? And is that even the kind of fear that we're talking about here? How do we deal with that? What are the normal responses for a human being to fear? And then how are we trained by culture and other relationships to deal with fear? And then we think about that and you go, and then am I supposed to be afraid of God? That same way, isn't God loving? Isn't God a good father? Isn't God slow to anger and abounding in love? Does God not keep and sustain those who call out? And how does that sit with fear? Because the answer to all those questions above is yes. Yes, God is good. God is loving. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. There's a story uh, this guy told. His name is Dave Wolf, and he's an astronaut. Um, and he was recounting uh, one of his spacewalks. And he said that 
Darkness and light are interesting themes in space because there's nowhere where the contrast between light and dark uh, is any more extreme. He says you can just sort of be out there floating in space next to the craft and then maybe the ship tilts a little bit and a wing blocks the light that's coming from the sun or the moon and creates a shadow. And the darkness of that shadow is darker than any darkness you thought could ever exist. Because out there in space, the shadows, there's no light in them. There's no reflected light from dust in the air, the earth around you, or clouds or anything like that. It's just pure, absolute darkness. And he said, you can reach into a shadow and it's so deep and so dark that it convinces your mind that your arm is no longer there. Because you can look at this arm and see it, and this one, you can't at all. And he said it's a stark line that cuts it. And he tells of this moment where he's out doing a spacewalk, working on stuff. And when it's dark in these moments, He said it means you're on the night side of the earth, in the shadow of the earth. And there are no external lights on this part of the ship that are blinking or giving any reference for him. He said it's just really, really so dark. And he said we're also over the ocean, over the earth, and so basically you can't see the earth at all either. He said when it's a moonless night, you don't see the earth. In fact, he said, it all might look like it's just the absence of stars, right? You see stars, but then there's this spot where there's no stars. And he said that was actually not that scary. He said it was gentle. I was floating there, and I was sort of surrounded in this cocoon of darkness. But then he said suddenly this blazing brightness just burst from below. And it was the sunrise because the ship is moving so quickly that the sunrise, which normally happens over, you know, a longer time here on the planet, very slowly and often calmly, just screams into existence up there. He said everything becomes to its full brightness in just a couple of seconds. And so he said the earth lit up below him, and suddenly he said I could look down 200 miles and see that we're moving five miles per second. Oceans move past, clouds, deserts, and he said, I was just like, ah, and he clutched onto the handrails, right? He said, white-knuckled in my spacesuit because I suddenly had this enormous sense of height and speed. And then that happens every 45 minutes. And so he said there's Uh, You have 16 nights and 16 days for every earth day, and so it's going in and out and in and out. And he talks about getting lost in that, right? That it's disorienting and and the the rhythm is, it, it doesn't feel consistent even though he knows it is. And he said, you feel like you're completely lost and all you can do is look at, I have to put this one screw in and that's all I can do is focus on that. And he talks about it with both this sense of fear and this sense of, it's it's kind of like awe, but not when we, when we talk about awe, I think we oftentimes try to put a very positive spin on it, like, it's so wonderful and so good. He had this sense of awe, like, like, what's happening? This sense of something so big. 
And I think this is more when I think of the fear of the Lord. This is what I associate it with. When we think of something that is so big that we absolutely don't know what to do with it. When we encounter not just space and the vastness of space, which can seem cold and lifeless in one instance and then blazingly bright in the next. But when we encounter something beyond that, when we encounter the source of that, what we're told in Scripture is the creator of that, and not through a big system of machines that are like these huge machines that, you know, he kind of worked and then everything went into place. But Scripture says this is the work of his fingers. Figuratively paints this picture of, it's it's like like a craft. Or we read in Genesis that this creator simply spoke and the entire cosmos came into being. And I think a lot like Israel when God parts the Red Sea and leads the people of Israel through, Right, And then the Egypt who's chasing them, they get in and the waters crash in on them, destroying them. I'm guessing Israel had this dual sort of feeling going on of yes, and at the same time like, oh my gosh, what are we dealing with? Really, what is this? Like, where is the creature that did this? How do we process this? What do we do with this? Or even Paul, who we talked about recently in our last sermon series, looking through one of the letters he wrote, and we, we, we sort of learned about his history where he literally got knocked down and blinded by an encounter with Jesus. Or the disciples who, when Jesus calms the storm, it says they're afraid because who can control the storms? Who can control the weather? God. So there's a sense of awe, but yes, there's also a sense of fear, I think. And I think that that fear is initially the human reaction to God's awesome presence and glory. But we also discover, as we go through the book of Proverbs, that it is synonymous with the phrase we learned back in Deuteronomy, to to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, As you look at the Old Testament, those two phrases kind of walk hand in hand together. And so the fear of the Lord becomes a relational term, signifying Israel's response to God's grace. And then the wisdom literature reveals God's purpose to redeem creation and culture to himself through his transformed people. A really good a uh, personal example of this that I get to see often is when I officiate weddings. Um, and um, appropriately so, you know, I'm standing at the front and the groom is here and the, the bridal party's here, but the bride isn't there yet. And as soon as the music shifts and the, the mother of the bride stands up and turns and looks, and everyone turns and looks, and so everyone's facing the aisle and the bride comes down the aisle one of the things from my vantage point that I get to do that I enjoy is I just go and I take a look at the groom and I see his face as he's waiting and sees the bride coming down and there's this moment of oh my gosh this is so big what I'm doing today and amazing and awesome and wonderful 
and everything else, it's so big that everything else kind of fades away. But that's when we encounter love, when we encounter goodness, when we encounter God, that's what can happen. And it's that that I think this kind of fear is, is about and becomes. And it says this is the beginning point of wisdom. This posture, this uh, wrestling with the vastness of a creator who so loves their creation and every part of their creation, including you and I and everyone, that we find that the creator stays involved even when we are way off track. When we miss the mark, that creator engages with us, brings us back, and so much so that they sacrifice themselves in the sacrifice of Jesus so that we could be restored to right relationship with them. And that's the launch point then of wisdom. I have this quote by Walter Brueggemann that I think further explores this. It says, we can see that wisdom is the embodiment and agency of generative moral coherence in creation. Moral coherence insists that deeds and consequences come together. The world is not randomly disconnected so that we can do stupid, destructive things with long-term impunity. Creator God, via wisdom, assures the connection between the choices we make and the outcomes with which we must live. That should be live. That is, it is all about sowing and reaping. The moral coherence that wisdom assures is generative. That is, it is guaranteed that good choices will eventuate in shalom for the choosing self and choosing community. The connection is generative so that wisdom has agency and will do what it says by way of guarantee. It is for that reason that good choices sometimes surprise with good outcomes that one could not have reasonably anticipated. Wisdom is not a moral code, but a force that is creative and willing, uh, willing creation to its true fulfillment. Being wise is bringing one's life, conduct, and policy into coherence with that generative resolve for shalom. In other words, wisdom is bringing our life, conduct, and policy into this generative resolve for shalom. That's for all of us to experience that all is well that things are right the way they should be. It's us participating in life in ways that bring about that shalom. Not just for us, but for the people around us, for everyone. And wisdom is a path, right? And, and that's kind of this thing is that sometimes, and we're gonna see this in just a second with this guy, it's Solomon, but I think we think if we get wisdom, then we're done, we can kind of stop trying. I've got wisdom, so I'm going to get it right all the time. Wisdom is always ongoing, something that we have to seek, work through, wrestle with. One person noticed that we've fallen in love with what they called quick fixes. Right? We, we like a, sort of an instruction manual. This person said in the Bible, wisdom is rarely ever presented as a single decision, belief, or philosophy, but rather as a way or a path that the sojourner must continually discern amidst the twists and turns of life. Another person said that wisdom isn't just about knowing what is true, but knowing when 
it's true. And by that, they didn't mean that, so all of a sudden, this thing that I believe to, true, to be true is sometimes true and sometimes not true. But what they meant is that the way we present it, the way we act on it, is important. There are times when it is important for me to speak a certain truth to my kids. There are times when it's not. A good friend of mine who was a martial arts instructor also, uh, his daughter was in a tournament. She was a black belt at the time, and she's really, really good. And she was sparring, um, and she typically sparred much harder than they allow you to, uh, to spar in some competitions, and so she was having to pull back quite a bit. The person she was sparring with was not pulling back and was not getting called for it, but she kept not engaging at that level because she said it's against the rules. It's not right. It's, it's the rules of this tournament say that we cannot just like thump on someone even though this person is thumping on me. And she ended up losing the tournament and she was really upset. Now, her dad could have come over and said, look, this is how you should have done that. This is how you should have done that. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I wish I could have found the picture but there's a picture after this where she's sitting down and he's sitting beside behind her just holding her she was really upset wisdom isn't always just about getting the words in it's not always just about saying the right thing it's about how we act and respond and how we carry and hold the sorrow of the world this guy Solomon who was the king after uh, King David King David's son he asked for wisdom, and he was known for wisdom. God gave him great wisdom. And at the beginning of his life, at the beginning of his time, his reign as king, he made some awesome choices that reflected that. At the end of his life, you could see he still had wisdom. Um, but as one person put it, it was reduced to sort of almost kind of parlor tricks with words, like it was just these word games that he was playing to gain more wealth and influence and power, not really to bring about shalom. For everyone, And so we can see that wisdom, even if you have it, is no guarantee that you're going to stay on the path. And I think it's because of the verse we can see up here now in Ecclesiastes 1.18. For much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. There's a character, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, um, there's a character named uh, Niena. Um, and the wizard Gandalf, who's one of the more main characters, actually spends some time as a student of Niena. And Niena's character, what she does is she weeps forever. She weeps for the sorrows of the world. But then she turns that grief into wisdom. And this is what it says. This is what Tolkien writes. Mightier, and there's a lot of names in here, so just bear with me. Mightier than Este is Niena, sister of the Fianturi. She dwells alone. She is acquainted with grief and mourns for every wound that Arda has suffered in the marring of Melkor. But she does not weep for herself. And those who hearken to her learn pity and endurance and hope. And all those who wait in Mandel cry to her, for she brings strength to the spirit and turns sorrow to wisdom. To hold wisdom and sorrow together, I believe, is what Scripture invites us to do. We find that the Proverbs are not just a list of bumper sticker sayings 
or the quick fix, me- quick fix methods we've fallen in love with, the internet articles that I always see that say, do these six things and then ba-bam, whatever result I'm looking for will happen. Scripture instead resists these simple rules and forces us to think and wrestle and engage over time that we might be transformed into the likeness of Christ. So to hold the struggles of the world and of our own lives and turn those sorrows that come out of those spaces into wisdom, into new directions, opens up new possibilities and brings hope to life. Otherwise, why try? Why do it at all? Because deep down, I think many and at times all humans believe that there is something better, something worth moving towards, that shalom where everything is as it should be, where all is well. This is the moral, ethical, and world vision that the Bible sets for us, to bring about God's shalom in the world as God works to redeem all things, all of creation, so that all would know God's grace and love for them. Moving in that way is wisdom. And I think right now, on planet Earth, this is the path of wisdom. How do we hold the sorrows of the world, and some of those are our own too, in ways that we can somehow walk on the path of wisdom with those and that lead in new directions? To live in new ways that facilitate this shalom for everyone. This is the backdrop for the series that we're gonna be going through. I wanna invite the worship team to come up as I wrap up. As I think about this, what this asks us to do is evaluate everything we do as a church, as an individual, as a family, as a nation, as a human being. Are we on the path that facilitates and brings about shalom for everyone. And if we don't know, then you're in a great spot because now you're seeking wisdom. If we find ourselves going, you know what, this is so confusing, I don't know. Awesome, you are in a spot where you can now say, God, give me wisdom, help me do this so that shalom can be experienced by everyone. Because there are a lot of things that we do that we're not aware of even that are causing harm, creating walls, creating distance. And we just came out of a series where the Apostle Paul was saying the big thing is that everyone is in the family of God, experiencing shalom. And so how do we do that? That's what we're gonna be exploring in this series. Um, So I have a couple of questions in just a second. I'll go through those and I'll pray. The worship team will play a a few moments of reflective time and then there will be... um, a closing song, and a benediction. But the questions I have for you today to think about. Uh, One, when you think of wisdom, what images, quotes, artwork, thoughts, etc., come to your mind? I asked this question a little bit earlier. I displayed some of my own. But for you, what things come to mind? What do you think of? Second, what stood out to you this morning? Was there anything as we were going through stuff, and it could be in our time of worshiping through music, could be of our time worshiping through the word, worshiping through announcements, worshiping through being together, anything this morning that stuck out to you? Um, what is it? Because one of the things that uh, we'll maybe be learning about if it finds a way in is that uh, part of wisdom is learning how to listen 
well to the things going on in your life. Um, and then lastly, what sorrows do you have in your own life or, or, or in the world that you are holding, grieving, and mourning over? And can you take those to God? I'm not asking you to turn those into wisdom or anything like that. All I am asking, can you identify those and then can you take them to God? Because I don't think this is necessarily a process that we can just sort of make happen. But I think it starts with realizing there's this big God. And even if we're afraid of how big God is, um, can we take those things to this God that can change and move mountains and do all kinds of things? So let's pray. God, I give you thanks that... um, that you don't invite us into a life of um, uh, little sayings that, that, that maybe don't have a ton behind them and that don't really work in all situations. Um, but you invite us into something where maybe there are little sayings, but they are given great meaning because they're attached to something much bigger. They're attached to you, they're attached to love, they're attached to goodness. God, I pray that we would begin to shift and see a bigger picture. Lord, that we would begin to wrestle with bigger questions. I pray for those of us who have been stuck in spots where we're like, I keep saying this line over and over, but it doesn't seem to go anywhere. I pray you would continue to help us to move and to seek and to not grow tired in that. And that you would, through this process of bringing things to you, we would find new ways. We would find new meanings, maybe in the words we've been using. We'd learn how to listen. Maybe instead of just saying those lines over and over, we can stop and say, what happens if I don't say anything for a moment? God, I confess that this whole topic is really mysterious and big. Um, but I also know that you're in it, so I pray you'd be with us as we search, wrestle, um, and uh, hopefully be transformed by your wisdom. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.